We heard our scripture from Luke chapter 13, and I want to set up our time uh, together with a story. And for this story, we will go to the deep south in Alabama in the 1980s. And this is a story that was popularized in a, uh, in a, a movie called Just Mercy. And we're in Monroe County, and in the mid-1980s, uh, early 1980s, there's a, a young woman who's found uh, murdered in, in a laundromat. And there's no, real, uh, there's no real indicator of what happened or what took place, but she was a, a young white girl. And this is the Deep South, and they were on a manhunt to try and find what had taken place. And so they start chasing down every lead, and there's pressure on them from the community. And they say, we have to figure out what happened. We have to know what's going on here. And so they begin just grasping at straws, going, who can we find? Who can we find that we can pin this on? Enter Walter McMillan. Walter McMillan is a young, uh, a young black guy that uh, owned his own log or wood pulp business. And he uh, really had no priors up to this. Um, but they got from a couple accounts, a couple testimonies, that, that they had seen him around and they had uh, pinned him in the scene of the crime. And so they chase him down, they, they grab him while he's at work and they throw him in jail. And it's a quick, uh, a quick sentencing and it's a quick trial. And he is placed on death row rather abruptly. Now, the, the crucial thing is that this entire time is, is that Walter McMillan claimed his innocence. The entire time, Walter McMillan was going, I don't know what you're talking about. You've got the wrong guy. I had nothing to do with it. But, again, pressures from the town, all this stuff, they're like, no, we have to find someone. We have to find someone because people are calling for answer, answers. And so, uh, even before his young life really begins to start in adulthood, it seems over. He's imprisoned, he didn't do anything wrong, but he's imprisoned. But then, enter a young Harvard Law grad, Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson had a passion and a burden for those who were on the margins of society, for those who uh, maybe were overlooked by, if we're being honest, a, a broken justice system, uh, especially in the Deep South and in the 80s. And he had a heart for going after these people that maybe didn't get a fair shake. And so Brian Stevenson uh, starts working on his behalf, and he, he just starts grinding. At the beginning, Walter McMillan wants nothing to do with it. He's like, listen, there's been lawyer after lawyer who's called my family, who's tried the appeal process, and nothing works. He has surrendered himself to a life of imprisonment. But... He begins to, uh, Stevenson begins to win his trust. He begins to say, hey, listen, I think we can do this. I think we can do this. And so he digs in and McMillan engages in the process. And at this point, McMillan's been uh, in prison for seven or eight years. And uh, it is all that he knows and nothing has worked. But then eventually, after, after months and months and years of, of working and going through the appeal process. And can you just put yourself in those shoes for a little bit? Like I've had, have you ever been in a room where uh, a chair like scoots wrong and it sounds like a farting noise, but it's your chair and everyone looks at you and, and they go, did you, just, did you just fart? And you're like, no, I promise I didn't. It was a chair. But for some reason, you can't get the chair to make the same noise. That feels super incriminating. But I cannot fathom. I cannot fathom if you're in the exact same situation and someone says you killed someone. 
and you're on death row, and your life hangs in the balance, what that would be like. And so it's in this moment of, of trying the appeal process and going, I'm not supposed to be a prisoner. It's not supposed to be like this. It's in these moments that this happens. Mr. Chapman, what is the state's position on this motion? Your Honor, may I approach the bench? Yes, sir. Your Honor, um, I'm troubled. You're troubled? Troubled. Because I know that the people in this community want to go to sleep at night, knowing that if someone has committed a terrible crime, then that someone is going to be punished. But um, in this case, Your Honor, I have um, taken another look at the evidence, and uh, Mr. Chapman, please. And the state does not object to the motion, Your Honor. To be clear, Mr. Chapman. Are you joining the motion to dismiss all charges today? Yes, Your Honor, I am. Order. Please, order. Well, y'all made my job easy today. In the case of the People versus McMillan, the court hereby grants the defendant's motion. All charges against you are dismissed, Mr. McMillan. moments like that that uh, remind you the goodness of the gospel and that good things are happening in this world still. Uh, but I want to turn a corner real quick and bring that over to our text that was read this morning because what an image of the freedom that we are able to experience through our relationship with Jesus. And by that I mean there are a lot of things in our world that hold us captive or prisoner to a life that God did not intend for us. And it can often feel like there's no escape. Like, like you're in this situation, you say, I don't know what to do, but I know there's more than this. 
I know there's more than what I'm experiencing right here and now, and there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different life than this. And just like McMillan had experienced years of wrongful captivity and accusations uh, to no fault of his own, and then through the work of one person was able to experience, and just like this woman in the passage who for 18 years, 18 years, her back contorted, 18 years of of bent overness, 18 years uh, of of going, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different life than the thing that I know I'm experiencing. 18 years of a spirit that is not a spirit of God, contorting her body in ways that just, I imagine, caused her excruciating amounts of pain, but then was able to experience freedom through the work of Jesus. Just like that, we are able to experience the same freedom. And just like that, my proposition this morning, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is in extending an invitation to you and to the world for that freedom. Jesus is extending an invitation to you and to the world to experience that freedom. But what do I need freed from? I've come to church my whole life like I've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I'm here. This is as good as it gets, right? Well, maybe, but what if it wasn't? Two things this morning, okay? First thing, we, we're going to look internal first. We can experience that freedom. Let's go to verse, uh, verses 11 and 12. And there was a woman there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, and she was bent over and she could not straighten up at all. That's, that's a long enough process that that just becomes ingrained as a part of who she is. 18 years of, of being bent over, 18 years of learning how to, I don't know what the, the posture of her back was, but 18 years of learning how to live with this physical malady, 18 years of going, well, I can't reach the top cabinet, so I just won't put anything up there, 18 years of, of learning to frame her life around this thing that was wrong with her. She was bent over, and she could not straighten up at all, and when Jesus saw her, he called her forward, and he said, woman, you are set free from your infirmity, casting out the spirit and healing her. Now, this woman on all accounts, here's what's encouraging to me, seems incredibly ordinary. We don't get a really a mention of post-encounter. We don't uh, hear back on the story and get the, the tragic backstory of why she had this spirit that was uh, cricking her, her back in the first place. Um, she's just there out of faithfulness, much like you guys and I are today, in the synagogue to hear God's word and to worship together with God's people. Like there was no extraordinary thing where she, uh, where she showed up and she's like, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me, have, have mercy on me. No, she's just there. She's just in the synagogue to hear Jesus teach. And to me, like I said, that's one of the most encouraging things to me because this woman's a fairly ordinary woman. Again, I don't want to downplay a pretty drastic, what I'm sure was a, a debilitating disability. Uh, but she was ordinary which to us, to you and I, makes her inherently relatable. See, hers was a physical malady, and there might be people in this room that part of the bondage that they experience and part of the life that, that uh, God did not design for you is some sort of physical malady. It might be that part of your freedom process is experiencing healing from Jesus. 
But for as many of those that are represented in that room, there's probably a good number of things represented here that are the spiritual, emotional stuff that we hold on to and that has bound us, that, uh, that control us. There's hurt and there's guilt and there's pain and there's suffering. There's people who last night couldn't sleep because they have just chronic anxiety and worry and it's just eating away at them. There is fighting going on in homes. I'm sure... There's kids who are out of control, and you're like, I am at my wit's end, and I don't know what to do. And this just feels like there's got to be a better way. There's got to be, this this can't be what God intended. I'm sure there's friendships and relationships that are just severed and broken and messed up. And you go, I don't see a way to reconcile. And I think about it every second of every minute of every hour of every day, and I can't shake it. And then uh, I'm sure there's people who uh, are haunted by the shame and the guilt of, of life before Jesus, who, are, who, who drive past that house and go, oh, I just, I can't live with it. Maybe this woman ended up at the synagogue that day because she said, I just, I don't know what else to do. Maybe she was at her wit's end, and maybe that's you today. You go, I just feel so ordinary, and I just need a word from Jesus. I just need. But the thing I want to encourage you with is that all the things that are holding us prisoner and captive, these are not things that are of God. God has intentions to bless us and to love us, and not that we're never going to go through hard things, but, but by golly, he intends for us to have life and life abundance. And the Greek here, used for set free, when he says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity, is really reminiscent of language, which is why I wanted to draw back to to Walter McMillan, is really reminiscent of language that would be used in a prisoner being set free. And so you're in this bondage, you're in this captivity, you're in this way of life that God probably never intended for you. And, and you're held captive to it because it controls your thoughts and it controls your heart, controls your mind, and you feel like there's no possible way to get out. And it wasn't an option for uh, them to leave before, but just like a prisoner leaving jail. But by some outside force, prisoners get to be set free. And maybe that's what Jesus is inviting us into today. See, this woman, like I said, she had a physical condition. But Luke tells us that it was a spirit taking her captive. And Jesus, in this healing that we're talking about, that we're walking through, who is Jesus? Jesus, in this healing, is exercising the very authority over creation that he was given. The Bible tells us that all things were made by him and for him. Psalms tells us that uh, it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein of it. It's all God's, meaning, uh, meaning he has authority over it. And to have authority over it is to have dominion over it. And to have dominion over it is to be able to speak and things to happen. And he was doing exactly what he came to do. We see again in scripture that he is in the process of making all things new. 
One of my favorite passages of scripture, I say one of my favorite, without a doubt, my favorite passage of scripture uh, is Colossians 1. And I especially love the treatment that Eugene Peterson gives it. Because he says, when he's talking about the reconciliation and the work that Jesus did on the cross, he says that Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, is taking all of the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe and fitting and forming them back together in vibrant harmonies. Meaning that Jesus is taking the broken, the ugly, the sinful, the messed up, the things that aren't supposed to be the way that they are, and he's taking those and he's making something new out of them. He's making something good out of them. He even makes this claim himself earlier in Luke, like, here's what I came to do. When he opens the scroll, he's in the synagogue, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has annoyed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has, hear, hear this, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for sight of the blind and set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus in this moment in Luke 13 is doing exactly what he came to do. But this was far more than a healing. This wasn't just like, oh, wow, thank you, Jesus. I feel so much better. But instead, it was an invitation into a new way of life, a life that was centered around the way of Jesus, a life that was centered around God's kingdom. He's saying, come be a part of this kingdom way. Which then I asked the question a little bit earlier, but what are the things that might bind us or enslave us? If we're talking about, okay, there's probably some stuff in this room that's holding us captive and holding us prisoner. And, and yeah, you might have trusted in Jesus, but we're still being formed by some of the old ways. Uh, what are some things that might hold us prisoner that we might need to experience some freedom today? And how do we know if the stuff we carry is, is actually enslaving us or, or, or holding us prisoner? Or then uh, how do we know the difference between that and something hard that we just need to walk through? Like something hard that, like, okay, this isn't fun. I don't enjoy this, but it's not holding me prisoner. And in fact, something is being formed and shaped inside of me that I reflect the person of Jesus more fully. So this morning, uh, I want to give a couple of, uh, of guidelines. And these are by no means blanket statements, but it's for me a way that I've, I've come to think about these things uh, is, is a helpful tool to go, uh, is this something that I need to trust in Jesus for deliverance from? Or is this something that I need to lean into the person of Jesus uh, to walk me through? And it's this, is, the, is whatever you feel like you're being enslaved uh, into, the hard in your life, is it forming you and shaping you to make you look more or less like Jesus? Is it forming you or shaping you to make you look more or less like Jesus? For example, uh, the, the broken relationship with a friend. You might go, man, I have just through this process had to trust in Jesus more and more than I ever thought I had. And I have had to engage with Jesus on a whole new level in my prayer life and digging into his word to say, God, how do I love this person well, even though I am so incredibly angry? That's, that's forming you. That's shaping you. That's doing something. That's not nothing. 
But it also could be that that thing is holding you captive and slave. And instead of saying, uh, leaning into Jesus, you're, you spend every waking moment, every waking minute thinking and obsessing and going, I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I should text this person. Maybe I shouldn't. Should I avoid them when I run into them at Meyer? Should I, like, well, how do I engage with this person? That is an indicator. Again, we can't make blanket statements here, but that's an indicator that maybe that thing is holding you captive. So this morning, you might be carrying one or many things or a multitude of things. Uh, like I said, guilt from past experiences, shame, uh, guilt from relationships. You might be walking in here today with uh, addictions where you go, I, I have trusted in Jesus, but I just can't break this. It may be that your life is far from God. And maybe for the first time this morning, you showed up and you went, I just, I don't know where else to turn and I need freedom from this old life. And I'm, I guess I'll try this Jesus thing. And I want to encourage you today that just like this woman, you are seen by Jesus. She was not a stranger in the synagogue. He, he sees her, and then he proceeds to engage with her. It's not like, oh, there's a, a weird hunched-over woman. No, he sees her, and with the loving eyes of Jesus, he engages with you. You are loved by Jesus. Uh, Jesus is near you. One of my favorite little just throwaway parts about this passage is that Jesus touched the woman. He touched the woman. Now, I... I don't know, I assume as we get to know each other better, um, uh, we will uh, understand, I don't know, I want to see and experience healing in lives and the hearts and lives of people. But I know Jesus enough that if he can create the entire world with his words, well, he could probably stand up a bent over woman with just his words. So why did he touch her? Because he's near like, this is Emmanuel, God with us. He goes over to the woman, he puts his hand on her, she stands up immediately. He didn't need to do that to heal her. In fact, he proclaims that she's set free from her infirmity before she ever does that. But he's near, he goes, he touches this woman, she was instantly healed. So what is it in your life that makes you feel unwhole? What is it in your life that makes you feel stooped low? What binds you tight and makes you a prisoner in your own soul? Because here's the thing I want to proclaim as loud and clear as I can. Jesus has offered you freedom through his work on the cross. Through the work on the cross, we can know and experience uh, the freedom of Jesus fully, freely, and forever. There is nothing holding you back to allow you to walk into that freedom aside from you going, Jesus, I, I'm trusting in your work. And like I said earlier, some of us are this weird mix of, you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, but there's still parts of my life that I've held on tightly to that do not reflect his goodness and his plan for my life. So imagine with me, as you think about this freedom from whatever is binding you, past decisions, past regrets, past mistakes, current relationship struggles, like whatever it is, imagine with me uh, a life that is consumed with, instead of all of that stuff, deep and profound 
joy and contentment. That your soul, regardless of that situation, your soul cannot be shaken. You are just uh, steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the works of God. Imagine with me uh, that you have this ability to, regardless of the mess going on, you are just able to laser focus, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. where you are earnestly putting to death inside you all of the stuff that that binds and so easily entangles us, where you know that you you know what Jesus says about you, and you're like, I don't need to prove anything to anyone, and I'm just going to love people like Jesus loves me. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not I, I am under no circumstances encouraging some sort of like Gnosticism where you're like, I get to experience Jesus uh, better than everybody else. But I am encouraging that maybe it is that we have stuff in our lives that it is a barrier between us and the risen Savior. And maybe it is that if we leaned into that freedom that Jesus is offering because he pronounced it for us on the cross... Maybe it is that our lives would look drastically different and that we wouldn't have to have the worry and the anxiety that happens with every shift in culture and in the news, but maybe instead we could be, like I said, marked with a deep and profound joy, where we could be marked with a love of one another, where we could be marked with a love for Jesus. So the invitation is there. Jesus has extended his hand for freedom. If there's something in your life that is binding you, I got elders here, I'm here, let's pray. Let's trust in Jesus for that. Let's trust in Jesus for the freedom from that stuff. So we can experience, he's extending the invitation for freedom for us, for every person in this room, but then for the world. Verse 17 talks about this, how delighted the crowd was to take part in what was happening. It says that all his opponents were humiliated because he's talking about the Sabbath and all of this stuff, but the people were delighted in the wonderful things that he was doing. And then back in verse 13, uh, it says the woman, when she's healed, she praises God. He says, put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and she praised God. Her first waking act as as a restored individual is to praise God. And when I think about the invitation that's being offered, I think it's exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So we see God's mercy. We are in view of God's mercy that has, we've seen and experienced in our life. We see and experience God's mercy acted out in the freedom that we're able to walk in as we trust and follow Jesus. And then as a response to being in view of God's mercy, seeing uh, God's relenting and gentle hand on those uh, difficult situations that that bind us and hold us captive, then in response we offer our bodies. We offer our entire selves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. To me, it's like a... uh, We had to get physicals not long ago for uh, uh, life insurance. And to me, it's not unlike the, the doctor's hammer on your knee. I, for the life of me, cannot understand what that told the nurse about our ability to be insured. I don't know. But uh, 
you hit your knee and it bounces out. It's like an automatic reaction and you can really, really try and withhold it. Like you can, you can really hold it in and go, no, I'm not gonna kick it out. But you hit the tendon with the little hammer thing and it kicks out. And that, as a people of God, should be the reaction that we're cultivating, that in view of God's mercy, in view of God's relenting, in view of God's setting prisoners free, both internally and externally, as we see it happen because I hope and pray that we see it happen. In view of God's mercy, we then surrender all of our lives and say, yes, you can have it all. I'm selling the farm. I want you. See, Jesus demonstrates this thing now uh, because uh, we have an obligation as believers that we've seen and experienced the freedom, so we're supposed to go offer and experience the freedom. There's this unique thing that happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you'll hear me talk about this a lot. In the Old Testament, God gives a set of laws, a set of instructions for this is what it looks like Um, this is what it looks like to follow God. And in doing so, he's trying to create some division, some set-apartness, some holiness inside of the Israelites, inside of God's people. Uh, But he's he's doing this not necessarily because shrimp is bad for you, at least, I hope not, because I really, really like it. Uh, In doing this, he's trying to say, I'm going to cultivate inside of you a value for life because I am the author of life. And I'm trying to cultivate, uh, cultivate inside you uh, this, these rhythms and these patterns of holiness because I'm holy. I want you to be my reflection for the world. And so he sets up these laws, and, and a lot of times people on the outside and then even people in the church can look at these laws and be like, oh, they're so restrictive, they're so, and they're specific. But what he's doing, it's not if you, uh, it's not bad and good, it's just clean and unclean. There's no projection of morality because a lot of the laws are written around normal things that happen with the body. So for example, leprosy, you got stuff falling off and your skin's not good. You leave the camp, not because you're a bad person and there's some uh, pronouncement of judgment and you're evil and you're a terrible person, but instead he goes, no, I don't want to infect the rest of the camp. So where you just go outside the camp and we'll help take care of you, and we'll make sure you're well-fed and all this stuff, but we, we're going to remove you because uh, we don't want you who are unclean to make everyone else unclean. Uh, a, a very normal rhythm of the female body. During that, that time of the month, you're going to be uh, unclean. Again, not bad or good, just unclean, because, uh, because blood represents life, and we're going to value life. Death, again, we, we, not bad or good, they're, they're dead, it's unclean. But Jesus, in his ministry, does this, this fascinating thing. And instead of uncleanliness infecting the cleanliness, instead of uh, unhealth infecting health, Jesus does this curious thing. He goes up to lepers, he puts his hand on them, he touches them, and what happens to them? They're healed. They're they're made clean. And and he's walking one day, and this woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years just believes and trusts in Jesus so much, she touches the hem of his garment. Healed. 
And countless times he goes up to people who are no longer alive. Who are no longer breathing. Their body is no longer functioning. One time he interrupts a funeral. Lazarus had been in the grave forever. Back to life. He's no longer worried about uh, about. Unhealth infecting health. He is about the mission of God saying, hey, I'm going to have the health. I'm going to have the cleanliness. And I'm going to take it to the rest of the world so that they can experience that health, that newness, that cleanliness too. And that is the invitation that's been offered uh, to the beginning or from the beginning. Abraham in Genesis 12. God says, I'm going to bless you to do what? So that you can live all fat and sassy? No, I'm going to bless you to go be a blessing. This is the way. You view God's mercy. You view God's freedom. You you view God's new life. Then you offer your body as a living sacrifice, and you say, I want to extend that freedom to others. And here's what I have found for my life personally. It is oftentimes, as I've walked with students, as I've walked with adults, as I've walked with people, it is oftentimes the very thing that I needed deliverance from, the very thing that held me captive to a life that God did not intend, that I am able to experience God's freedom in and then walk with others through the exact same thing to help experience their liberation and their freedom. That I'm able to say, Jesus, I saw what you did in this part of my life. And now I am able to take the, the, clean, the newness, the cleanness, the health that's in my life. And I'm able to take it and I'm able to give it away to people who are struggling with the exact same thing. One example I can think of is uh, Amanda and I's marriage. Uh, we got married in between our sophomore and junior year of uh, college. And I think... Anyone can attest in here. We've been married for nine years now. And there was parts of our marriage at the beginning where we were like, this is hard. No one told us it was going to be this hard. And you're learning to live with someone new. And she's learning to deal with all of my quirks and idiosyncrasies. And she's just, we're just trying to figure one another out. And it was hard. And I said, there's got to be a better way. And we started to trust in Jesus. We started to lean into who he is and how he designed us and how we can love and serve one another. And by no means is it perfect or, or easy all the time. But we have experienced the beauty of Jesus working in that area of our life. And then a couple of years back, uh, this is not a normal thing for a student pastor, but we were able to walk with, through the course of one year, seven different couples in our home. Uh, who were getting married, and we got to walk them through weeks and weeks and weeks of premarital counseling to say, hey, listen, there is a better way. We're gonna, we're, we don't have the only way. We don't have the perfect way, but we're going to give you the best way that we have learned how to communicate with one another, how to love one another well. We're going we're gonna to take the freedom and the deliverance that we have experienced. We're going to bless you with that so that you can start off on the right foot so that you can see what it looks like to follow and love and trust and serve God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So walk in that freedom. Walk in the freedom that Jesus is offering you this morning because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But then don't camp out in that freedom. Go give it away. Go give it away to others. And as you do, 
as you go to your schools, places of work, your friends, your family, I believe with all of my heart that you will see and experience health infecting unhealth. And this is what it looks like to work towards God's kingdom establishment here in Vermilion County. To say, Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to be about you. We want to trust you. We want to live for you. And we're going to do it. And we're going we're to take the freedom that we've experienced. We're going to give it away to others. This is our work as Christ followers in our communities, in our lives, as we work towards this.